We are in Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32, as we continue through our working through the Gospel of Luke together on Wednesday afternoons. We'll begin in verse 29, as I said. Give ear to God's word to us this afternoon. It reads, When the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We all know the verse, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door will be open, and on it goes. It is an encouraging verse to us, of course, to hear the Lord bid us to come and seek, and promising that we will find, it presses us toward Him. But I do think that we often fail to realize or honor the Lord whom we seek as free when we seek Him. He will reward the seeking, yes, according to promise. Seek and you shall find. But He will do so according to His own will and purpose for our good and not always as we the seeker expect. And it's not because God is tricky. Of course He's not. He's not deceitful or, heaven forbid, evil even though we may be tempted to think Him so when we seek and don't find what we were seeking and instead find something else, it is rather because He does what He does out of His kindness and His goodness and even because He Himself is generous. He gives exceedingly and above, even beyond what we could ask or hope for. He not only answers our seeking, but He teaches us in His answer, to seek Him more effectively, more correctly, and for our own good. When we press into Him, we find the living God, the One who knows us. And knowing us, knows what it is we need, even why we seek Him. And so He corrects us for our eternal good in giving what He gives. It's not what we expect, but seeking. It is what we find. He is the One we find when we seek, and He is greater than we at first sought or even expected. And I think that's what we see in our text today. The crowds, they increase. They literally, in the original, press in around Him. You can think of a crowd at a concert or something, and they all press in to be closer and closer to the stage. That's the image here. There's a great crowd, and they're pressing in, seeking Jesus. They come seeking, and they find Him. One who knows them and who knows what is good for them and interacts them with them as such. I think that's what we'll use as our basic outline this afternoon. I'll state it more directly. Our, our text teaches us that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. And knowing you, He gives to you what's good for you and what you most need. He knows you and He knows what is good for you. So first, let's look 
at how the text teaches us that He knows us. I think we see it in the first two verses there that are before you. Notice they press into Him, but it is He that addresses them, not they Him. He names them. And then He points out the very motive that is in their heart for coming near to Him and pressing upon Him in the first place. He calls them. It's right there before you. It's repeated over and over again in the text. An evil generation. The crowd gathers. It enlarges around Him. And the Lord is not in any way compelled to please the crowd, is He? He calls them evil. An evil generation. He is not compelled to to please them anyway. He does not tell them or us what we want to hear. He doesn't puff us up in pride when He speaks to us and names us. He He doesn't stroke our ego by affirming the hard things that we've experienced. But instead, He speaks plainly and truthfully about our state before Him. And He does so not without love. You are evil. The generation of evil meaning a brood of evil ones, to paraphrase John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, and even descendants from those who are themselves evil. And when he says this, I don't think he means a comparative evil, as in the way that we often compare ourselves with some people or cultures that are more or less evil than ourselves. He's not saying that. And I don't think he's saying to his listeners that they are evil in the sense that you are those that are the type that would vandalize buildings or steal the purse of an old lady crossing the street or extorting extorting money from others. He's not saying it like that. What he is saying is that they are those who are evil in the sense that they are those who oppose God, who are out of line with Him who created them, estranged from communion with Him, turned from His will and purpose for humanity towards another purpose of their own devising, disordered concerning heaven, evil compared with Him in His holiness and goodness. And this evil, which has reference to God in that way, is expressed, I think, as Jesus tells them about their motive in pressing in upon Him. He points it out there in verse 29. He is one who knows them. He names them. And then he tells them, this is why you're here. It is because you seek for a sign. Why is this generation pressing in? Well, they want to see. They seek a sign. They want to see a wonder. And this is no surprise, is it? We've we've read through the Gospel up until this point. We've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a a, a small portion of bread. He's, He's cast out demons before us. He's stilled storms. He's restored sight to the blind. He's made the lame to walk. He's even raised the dead boy of a widow. He has worked many wonders up to this point. And so doubtless, this crowd has heard of this and presses in to see more of the same. They desire a sign. They want to see Him do it for themselves. And perhaps some of them are skeptical about what they've heard and they won't believe it until they see it. Whatever the case, they come to see just that, a sign. And I think we all know something of this impulse in ourselves. So often, you and I are motivated by a desire to see. 
It is why when we've long been in a long stretch of the highway in bumper-to-bumper traffic, stop and go for 30, 45 minutes an hour, that even when we get to the end and we see the wreck approaching, we slow down one last time to take a look as we pass by. We hear about the new movie, and what do we say? I can't wait to see it, of course. There's a reason why we travel to faraway places, is it not? We want to lay our eyes on them. We want to see them. We say things like, I must see Rome before I die. I have to lay eyes on it. I want to see it with my own eyes. So often the measure of a thing's worth is measured to us by our eyes. It is according to the eye appeal that we judge a thing worthy or not. From clothing, to spouses, to churches, we make many of our decisions based upon this set of eyes in our heads, this, this sense, perception. And often it is an urge, this desire to see, that even leads us into illicit places, is it not? We wanting to gaze at something with our eyes, a spectacle. So it's not surprising that this is the motive of this evil generation. They have heard about Jesus and they want to look at Him with their eyes. They come to gawk, to stare at the man. In a word, they come to sit and be spectators. They, we, are like Herod, who we'll read later on in the Gospel of Luke, desired to see Jesus, hoping, chapter 23, verse 8 of the Gospel, to see some sign done by Him. Jesus knows it because He knows them and He knows us a generation led about by an urge to look. And now he responds. And notice he doesn't respond with the sign, not with the miracle, but instead the spoken promise of a sign to come. He says, continuing in verse 29, no sign will be given to it, that is to the evil generation, except the sign of Jonah. He promises what they seek, doesn't he? They want a sign, and a sign he gives but not in the way that they sought it, not at all. Because as we have just seen, Jesus knows who this generation is. He names them, and He calls out their motive. And now secondly, He gives them what is good for them. Knowing them, He gives what is good for them. They sought a sign, but not this sign. Yet this is the sign He gives, the sign of Jonah. It is good for them. It is what they need. Which of course raises the question, What in the world is the sign of Jonah in the first place anyways? And we actually have to turn elsewhere to get an idea of this, not all the way back to the book of Jonah, but Matthew and his gospel and the parallel account of this same interaction with Jesus and the crowds. In Matthew 12.40, it says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. Jonah went down. Down into the belly of the fish in the depths of the sea and he came up to preach to the Ninevites. So the Son of Man, Jesus, will die and go into the depths of the grave and then on the third day rise again in power and glory. It's a sign of Jonah. But there is more. And it's important to add it. Jonah, when he was raised did preach to the Ninevites. That is, His rising brought in Gentile converts. And so Jesus, resurrected, shall bring in the nations. 
Luke directs our attentions toward this very thing, I think, in our text before us. Where Matthew doesn't make any strong emphasis on it, I think Luke does. Verse 30, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The sign of Jonah, it points to resurrection and Gentile inclusion. And even as he speaks, the Jewish crowd is being compared to Gentiles. They're being called Ninevites. They are, Jesus says, evil ones. Their Abrahamic lineage has nothing to do with their being good here. No, they are not good. It does them no good to be children of Abraham. They are like foreigners. All national distinction is being erased. You, Jewish crowd, are like Ninevites and need your own Jonah. You are like all men, an evil generation, who desire to see signs, but no sign will be given except the one that points to resurrection and names you among the Gentiles. He gives them a sign to see themselves, you see, as Jesus does. Not special in and of themselves, but one among many in need of the same mercy that is given to all. And then further, notice he directs them with this answer, this sign, to the future and away from the present. They who want a sign will, it says, see the Son of Man like the Ninevites saw Jonah. Not a present miracle, but a future genera- a resurrection. Not a sign for you as a special people, but a sign for you as a member of all people coming in the future as one among many of the sons of Adam. And I hope you see that this this resurrection in the future and Gentile inclusion is the same for us too. We too are directed toward a future hope, are we not? Coming to see things with our eyes now, we are directed from what we see now to a future hope. We are promised a future resurrection and the sight of the Son of Man in glory. Not because we are anything in ourselves, of course not, but simply because the Lord is merciful to all. That, says Jesus, is the only sign that will be given to this wicked, evil generation. The sign of Jonah, which will be spoken against, hated, and opposed, but nevertheless is what we need. But he's not leave the crowd pressing around him with just that. He adds another thing, and that brings us to the last two verses knowing what they need. He not only gives them this sign of Jonah, He also gives them something for the present times. Knowing them and knowing what they truly need, He continues leaving for the moment Jonah aside and then turning to a queen. Verse 31, He says, The queen of of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation. Notice, it's still future tense. She will rise up. The resurrection is still in view. She will rise up. And then to this, he adds the warning. She will rise up and, it says, condemn them on the last day. He adds the same note of warning in the next verse when he comes back to Jonah, verse 32. The men of Nineveh also will rise up at the judgment with this generation and, same warning, condemn it. Condemnation. A Gentile woman will judge the men of this generation. A heathen nation will judge this Jewish crowd. Why? Well, because they're better than the Jewish crowd? No, of course not. But because the emphasis I think the text puts before us is that they listened. 
they listen to lesser witnesses, and a greater one stands before them. The power of life and death are in his tongue, and whoever loves his mouth will eat its fruit. John chapter 5.25, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Again, John chapter 6, 63, The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus says, they are spirit and they are life. It is the very thing for which this evil generation will be judged according to Luke here. Look at verses 31 and 32. The criteria is the same for judgment in both. It has to do with listening. Verse 31, The queen of the south, she came from the ends of the earth to do what? Hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then the men of Nineveh, verse 32, they repented at what? The preaching of Jonah. The condemnation comes upon those who refuse to follow them listening. As Jews who were familiar with the Torah, they should know this, for Moses himself wrote, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, that, those people who don't listen, they shall be destroyed, it says, from the people. See, Jesus, He's not greater because He's clothed more gloriously than Solomon before their eyes. He's not greater because He went into some bigger fish and had a more harrowing adventure in death than Jonah. No, He is greater primarily and seen as such because of what He says. As the temple guards confessed to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 7, verse 46, no one has ever spoken like this man. None. He is the beloved of the Father. The Father who says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Listen. Not look. Not seek a sign. But draw near to listen with your ears. Knowing us, you see, He knows what we need. We need words, not pictures. We need preaching, not paintings. We need to listen now so that we may be prepared and made ready to look then. Apart from our ears receiving the Word, our eyes will never see. But if we listen, and by listening, we will find and see a greater one is here. And we read of it twice. Listen, it uses the words to see. Behold, he says, a greater than Solomon is here. Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. You would miss it if you look first and don't listen. If, however, you listen first, you will be prepared to see. He will open your eyes by the words of His mouth so that you can see. It was thus for the hearers of Jesus. And I think it is so with us in our day. We know His greatness, not by the seeing of the eye, but by the hearing of our ears. We know of His power and His beauty by the reading and preaching of the Word. We hear that He is risen. And what do we say? Our collective amen, of course. Not because we've seen it, but because we've heard of it and believe it. Here is the fulfillment of the sign of Jonah, we can say, and say in truth. Hearing we see... Also, that we are blind, do we not? 
like the Queen of the South, we realize the half, nay the tenth, even the meagerest portion, measure, has not even been told us. We thought that we knew, but we didn't know. We thought that we saw, but we didn't see. And now, hearing, I see. And we repent like Ninevites in sackcloth and ashes. We believe because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And believing, we do see, don't we? We see the church. We behold something greater than the Israel of old, even though if you were to look at it without hearing, it would seem as lesser. We see bread and wine and water, and seeing them by the hearing of our ears, we learn contentment. He gives us what we need. An evil generation seeks a sign, and what does it find? It finds a man speaking. It finds his word, the very thing that is needed to make them not evil generation, but a regeneration, a new humanity, to give them sight, to see the only sign we need, the ministry of the church. In this we rest until the day when our faith is made the vision of glory, and our eyes will behold true wonders, far better than anything we could have had now. But the text warns us, if we don't listen, then we will not see, and we will even disregard what we do see. We will turn away from the church and its sacraments. We will close our ears to the Word read and preached, and we will wander the earth like this crowd, seeking a sign to lead us to the truth. And we will find that we have forsaken the only true means of life. We will prove ourselves to be like these people, a wicked, evil generation that despises the words of eternal life and the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites and all those who have heard and believed the words that were spoken by this man will rise up on that last day and they will condemn us because they listened and we did not. We became those who refused Him who speaks in these last days. Greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah, Jesus, the one who alone is the great prophet and king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son in the fullness of time, the one who is the great high priest and the final and most glorious of all kings. Lord, we look to him and we pray that you would give us ears to hear and that listening we might see and walk in the light of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.